Hey, Sav, can you hear us? Yep. How's it going, folks? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Happy to be here. You know, Shaka took like a. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Sav, nice to talk again. Yo, how's it going, John? Doing great. How are you? Not really. All good. I think I got um, the beat Denver COVID strain like so many other people. But besides that, it's going fantastic. Yeah, I don't know if I got the COVID strain particularly. Uh, the rest of the team did, though. But I think I was the lucky one and just got super sick for about a week. But feeling better now. So that's good. That's good to hear, man. Um, yeah, I, maybe it's not COVID, but it's definitely something that happened there. Anyway, what are we going to do? Uh, we still have one more speakers to join later, right? Yeah, I'll just inform him in a... Um... On Telegram already. Uh, I think he will be joining us. You know, like okay. So are you doing well? Yeah, happy to be here. Really excited about this. Um, it's a great lineup that you put together. Thank you very much for for uh, the work, um, Howard and Sherlock. Always welcome. Yeah, um, you know, I'll be trying to you know team again. And um, yeah, I mean, I leave to you now, Cheryl. I'll chase you know uh, Adele for this uh, event. He's not here. Sure, Howard. Ah, uh, let's wait for a moment and try to see Nada will join us in time. And make a brief introduction. So uh, today we're going to have two parts for the question. The first is like the general questions. And uh, <clears throat> I, I w we have prepared around three questions, which will ask for every speakers to give their own answers. And then uh, we also have some specified questions, which will uh, one by one to ask some projects. And they will give their own opinion. And it will take around uh, 60 minutes to have these two space. So enjoy, guys. Because uh, Sam, so Sam was, uh, our is a co-host of these different space, but Sam may have some, like, uh, somebody not, not quite healthy enough, <laughs> so I will take most of the time job and let's have to uh, focus on our report. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, but uh, hey, but Howard, uh, do you think we need in, to wait for uh, the leader to join to start, or we can just start well, right now? I, I think we can. I, I think we can keep up in it. Uh, I will be keeping. Oh, Nader. Uh, I, I, I see Nader. He's coming. Okay. Great. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, Nader. Hey, what's up, everyone? Can you hear me all right? Yep. Yeah, we can hear you. How's it going? It's going great. Hey. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And yeah, thanks for joining us. And we start. Uh, today, uh, we have the uh, content 2049 EPA and topics uprising web three storage. And I'm Sherlock. I'm co-founder CEO of Mission Network. And we're very happy to have lots of speakers and guests today. Uh, to share their opinions. So the first part is, <clears throat> I, I want to give uh, our speakers a very, maybe around uh, 30 to one minutes to briefly introduce him or herself and its, its projects. Uh, let's go from the set. Set? Yep, thank you very much, Herlock. Yes, we're thrilled to have you uh, all participating here. Thank you also everyone Sam. that is, Can you hear that us? is currently- Can you hear me? Um, yep, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear sub just fine. Yeah, I think that that's maybe that's something on your side, um, Sherlock. Um, anyway, uh, thank you very much for for joining us. Also for the listeners, uh, um, it's it's great to Sam, have you here. Uh, can you please introduce to... uh, yourself and uh, the, your project? I think that we might be having a little bit of like technical difficulties here um, with Sherlock, but um, I'll just uh, key. I'll just kick it to. Um, the next speaker, well, to introduce themselves. 
uh, someone that we've been working with uh, quite uh, closely uh, for the past month. So, John, um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure, no problem. Thanks, Seb. Uh, hey, everyone. Super excited to be here and to talk some more with you guys. Um, yeah, I'm John. I'm the co-founder and CTO of Kive. Um, a little bit about Kive is we're building a massive decentralized Web3 data lake. So we're taking data from all these major L1s and L2s and archive through our network and validating it as well onto Arweave. Um, so that's kind of a brief intro from my side. Uh, Nader, do you want to go next? Yes, um, I work. My name is Nader. I work with the Graph Protocol and Edge and Node, and the Graph is a decentralized uh, slash like yeah. Web three indexing and querying protocol. And um, developers essentially use the Graph uh, tooling, the open source tooling, as well as the protocol to build out APIs on top of blockchain networks like Ethereum, IPFS, uh, all of the EVM chains. Uh, we now support Near. We also are planning to support Cosmos and Solana in the near future. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Um, Sherlock, are you are you with us? No. I think there's something like the connection problem with his, his you know, join uh, us. Yeah, um, I, I think we can, we should invite, I mean, sorry, here, yeah. So, do you, uh, you know, give a little background about yourself and what you're doing? I mean, sure, in, sure. In Europe, um, yeah. I think, yeah, Sherlock has some uh, technical problem. Uh, I'm Leo. I'm uh, from Mason Network, I'm the co-founder and CTO. Uh, actually, uh, Mason uh, is a platform um, with a blockchain technology. We uh, try to build a bandwidth platform, uh, aggregating ideal resources globally and provide uh, a very big bandwidth output service layer. Uh, this kind of layer can be uh, used in front of any storage layer. Um, yes, that's what we do. Hey, I'm back. Sorry, uh, I maybe have some problem. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry. Has anyone still left to introduce himself? Uh, we have Sarah um, from Infura and uh, uh, Mark from Helium. Sure. Hey, Sarah, can can you introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thanks very much for having me. Um, really excited to be part of this amazing lineup. Um, so, I'm Sarah. I work with Infura, and um, for those of you who don't know, that Infura provides uh, access to the Ethereum network, ETH1 and ETH2, along with IPFS and Filecoin2. So I'm a product owner focusing on IPFS as well as some other features and things like that for in, uh, Infura. Thanks. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, and Mark? Yeah, uh, thank you to everyone for having me and, and uh, Helium here. So my name is Mark Phillips. I run business development at a company called Helium Incorporated. Um, we are the, the sort of founders and instigators of the Helium network, which at this point is the, the largest uh, continuous wireless network in the world built on what is probably the largest blockchain. So good to be here. Thanks, Mark. Uh, right now we have, want to have our first question. So um, what kind of storage do we need in the Web3 world? So like, like uh, we're talking about the Web3 and we're talking about storage in the Web3. Uh, we see lots of very good and great projects. For example, like our speakers, the R-Wave and other solutions here. So what's the idea about, so what's the story for in the Web3 should, should conclude some traits or models? And if you compare with the info right now in Web2 world, uh, what's the difference between them? Has they already been much perfect? What's the idea? Uh, we want to start from the John, from Kai. Hey, John. Hey, all right. Uh, yes, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, so kind of going off of like starting from your sub question there, which is like, um, was data in Web2 perfect? Uh, I would actually say no, because uh, data in Web2 is basically just centralized databases um, run by centralized companies. And I don't think that that's very ideal if you're moving into like the Web3 ecosystem where everything's decentralized. Um, so yeah, so I would say that like storage that's needed in Web3 uh, Number one, definitely needs to be decentralized. And number two, I'm a big believer in permanent storage. I mean, of course I am. I use Arweave. Um, and yeah, so I think those are the two main things about storage from Web3 is it has to be decentralized and it has to be permanent. Thanks, Sean. Uh, Leo, can you share an idea? Yeah, I think uh, for storage part, uh, we definitely have Arweave and uh, IPFS uh, people here. Uh, I would like to introduce more basics. Uh, I think our audience uh, are not familiar with uh, Web3 um, uh, uh, storage part. So um, I want to first introduce 
um, uh, the, the big difference between Web 2 and Web 3 storage. Yes, especially as uh, the previous uh, speaker mentioned, um, the decentralization, decentralization is a key difference since, um, you know, I think nowadays Web 3 users like to store their high valuable data like finance uh, data or, you know, token assets or NFT over the storage layer. Um, they want a high, you know, safe storage layer uh, um, compared with Web two storage because um, because of this decentralization, there is no organization exists. Uh, so user data, um, you know, won't be deleted or removed by any organization. So decentralization basically becomes the most uh, you know important difference here. And uh, I also want to. Um, to bring the concept of uh, technology, uh, you know, technical term called um, redundancy factor. So why this is important? I think uh, if you look technology uh, in into the details, you know that. Um, so what is um, basically redundancy factor? Say you have a disk of one terabyte, um, but in uh, say you have a lot of files stored on the disk, but in reality, in commercial applications, uh, often people buy more disks to do backups. Uh, if you have Two or three uh, disks to have four bakes and four backups, and then your uh, redundancy factor is actually two or three. I mean, usually in Web two, um, um, you know, storage like Amazon, the, their redundancy factor is said to to be two or three, um, uh, to keep sure that the the the, the disk won't uh, all broken at the same time. But um, you know, they have good maintainer maintainers. They know the life cycles of disk, so their redundancy. Uh, is not that big, but in decentralized world, uh, we we see that Arweave or Bitcoin or whatever Finecoin, they uh, uh, sorry, uh, Arweave like um, they have very big uh, redundancy factor. Uh, but why this happen? I think uh, in, in most importantly because uh, you know <clears throat> all these miners they, they are not not controlled uh, by any organization. Anytime they may leave the network at their own interest. So to keep sure that the uh, data is safe. You got to have a very high redundancy factor. Actually, most of the time, if you look at Bitcoin, Ethereum, Finecoin, whatever, uh, almost uh, all the other public chain, they, they, their redundancy factor is equal to the total number of all the miners. I think redundancy factor and decentralization uh, is the core difference here. And at the same, at the same time, I think uh, another factor is the service layer is critically important and uh, quite different in between. Web two and the Web three, uh, I think um, you know here we have uh, Infuro and also uh, the Graph, and they have set example to to show that how important the service layer because in a centralized service uh, Web two service like uh, Amazon, they uh, usually have a high peaks of user request. This requires uh, this requires the auto scaling mechanism of bandwidth. Uh, in the service layer, uh, but in a decentralized world, it's very difficult to 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 let some mining nodes to have such a big capacity of bandwidth and robust service layer. So I think um, it's not that easy to do a service layer. So um, this actually, Mason also tried to solve this problem. We tried to you know incent uh, incentivize uh, miners with big bandwidth output. We aggregate more than thirty thousand nodes here. We help. You know, I think with the help of bandwidth and in the service layer, uh, we could help uh, to build uh, uh, another layer in front of the story layer to help people to consume all the data storage. Uh, that's uh, I, I, I just want to you know tell a little bit about basics about storage and service layer. I think more uh, deep uh, understanding can can be given by uh, the following speakers. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, sorry, Sherlock. Uh, yeah, I think that you bring up a very interesting uh, and important point there, right? So it's not only, um, so it's it's not only the technical um, parts redundancy that are like crucial, but also like the underlying business models, right? So if you are dependent on um, a company, frankly speaking, that can decide at any point in time to um, shut off your service or to have some outages, um, like it doesn't really like work super well. So it's not only about like the decentralization um, for redundancy, but it's also about, well, who actually um, owns um, the, the, you know, the network and how, how can it be robust enough to, um, to be, make sure that, you know, if someone forgets to, I don't know, uh, pay for the storage that it just doesn't go um, out. Like the, the business models are quite, quite important uh, here as well, I think. Thanks, Seth. Uh, Mark, how's the idea? Uh, 
Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't have a ton to add to the discussion. You know, everybody who's spoken here before me has much deeper experience, I think, in Web3 storage specifically. Um, you know, one thing I will say is that uh, it seems as though a lot of these technologies and protocols uh, are less likely to take off if they don't nail the, the user experience. Um, you know, I'm thinking of things like um, you know, the Skynet uh, app on top of Sia. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, you know, we see this a lot with... Uh, Helium, where you know we're trying to basically onboard people to use this decentralized blockchain-based wireless network, but sort of abstract as much of the blockchain de blockchain details as possible. Uh, and I think you know when we think about Web3 storage and you know companies represented here and other companies in the space, uh, it, the the usage is likely to accelerate once someone really nails that sort of user experience. Um, and I think somebody was talking about this earlier with service layers um, and sort of again abstracts the underlying details, which make it extremely valuable and just gives someone something that's dead simple to use. Thanks, Mark. Mayor, want to hear your idea? Yeah, I mean, I agree with pretty much all the stuff that's been mentioned here. I think the one thing that um, that was outlined at the very beginning was like redundancy and then um, also permanence. But also might throw out there that um, this is just kind of like another way to, to deal with data storage. And it doesn't necessarily have to kind of fall into this like Web3 bucket. And uh, instead, I would think of it as just a new way to store data. So like you might have a, a Web2 application where you want your data to never go away, right? Like when we think of um, storing an image, we're assuming that this thing is gonna be sitting on S3 somewhere and that if someone doesn't pay their bill or if someone gets a hold of the, the permission, they can delete all of that. But now we have this new, this new paradigm where we have this idea that permanent storage is possible. So we might just rethink the way that we architect many of our applications. And I think that uh, Arweave is kind of like a paradigm shift there. And um, I've heard a lot of people here talk about it. And I continue thinking that that's kind of gonna be one of the, um, more uh, groundbreaking protocols that continues to gain traction. And I'm sure that we'll see other protocols kind of come out that try to um, copy that same functionality, but th th their API is super nice to use as a developer. And um, I'm really, really bullish on Arweave. That's also a big fan of IPFS and, and all the other stuff out there as well, obviously. Thanks, Nader. Uh, Sarah, so, uh, Infura, I think, is the most adopted applications right now in the crypto world. Uh, people will, uh, I, I have to say, uh, not only developers, but lots of applications, even like MetaMask, we, people use the Infura to enter the world of Ethereum and lots of uh, blockchain infra. So what's the idea about this question? What, which kind of story do we need in the Web3 world? Yeah, sure. So, you know, unsurprisingly, I agree with all of the really excellent points that have been made around, um, you know, redundancy and decentralization business model and, and UX is, you know, always something that we're, we're, we're working towards uh, in this space. One thing I think that um, we haven't talked about is tamper resistance. So one of the good things, one of the sort of really groundbreaking things, I think, about IPFS is in that it stores the hash of the content. And I think as we sort of enter into a world of deep fakes and things like that, it's really important to ensure that, the, uh, you know, NFTs as well. Um, the, the hot topic at the moment is really important to ensure that as we kind of move through some of these uh, use cases that, that take off, we're still able to um, verify the authenticity of the content that we're, we're trying to store. Um, and I think another point would be, you know, to carry on from the points around business models. I think, you know, one thing that I have noticed that is, you know, a general trend in the Web3 space as opposed to Web2 spaces, the kind of the opportunities that individuals have to be, be able to sort of participate in some of these economic incentives. And in particular, I'm sort of thinking about Filecoin when I say that where you have this two-sided market with people that have availability of storage and then somebody that wants something stored and you can match those deals together and, uh, you know, in ensure that you have this, um, you know, continuation of the move towards decentralization, which I think is really cool. Thanks, Sarah. Okay, well, we want to have the next question. So what's the idea about the, uh, uh, sorry, forget about that. So in the Web2 world, we have at least three kinds of infrastructure right now, like the computation, storage, and bandwidth. Right, they, they, if you go to the cost provider, for example, AWS, you will find uh, offer people these three kinds of uh, resources to serving to uh, serve our internet world. But what's the idea about these the relationship between computation storage and band bandwidth in, in Web three world? Um, yeah, so I want to start from Leo. Uh, thanks, Sherlock. Uh, I think yes. Um, I think computations, storage, and bandwidth are the uh, basic infrastructure and resources, uh, you know, 
whatever kind of uh, internet applications are uh, are re rely over these resources. Uh, uh, I think in Web three, um, uh, Ethereum, for example, it has the um, uh, computation layer uh, worked as uh, we all know the contract smart contract. Also, it has the uh, data layer, but not actually uh, mentioned by a lot of people. It's actually a data store. Uh, it's a uh, it's the you know the the, the financial transactions stored as uh, in the data layer. I think, uh, yeah. I, I mean, um, uh, currently, I think the cost is still uh, is still uh, very big in in um, you know de uh, in decentralized uh, world. Uh, and here, Mason is. Um, I think most uh, of the public chains are dealing with uh, the computation or the uh, storage. Uh, and here, Mason actually, we, we we try to focus over bandwidth. Uh, since bandwidth is widely used in Web two and Web three world, without a robust bandwidth layer, um, though uh, the storage can be very big, but you know if you have a very bad user retrieval slow speed experience, um, the the you know uh, that will be do harm. Uh, that will be do, uh, be a lot of uh, harmful in, in the in the Web three world. Um, yes, I think uh, we still see a lot of uh, uh, technology evolution. Um, in, in these three areas, um, um, yeah. Thanks, Leo. Uh, so when, when I was learning about these kind of resources, um, I always thinking, okay, which one is a, is a corner store, which one can achieve more adoption, right? Well, in the, let, let's see the market here. Uh, we see the storage goes first, and we see lots of strife from the storage projects. But then recently, we also see some like computation and bandwidth uh, some project focus on these two parts, which can even combine with uh, storage and combine with each other. So, uh, next part, I want to ask Seb. Seb, so how's the idea about that part? Yeah, I think that, I mean the, the way that we see this, um, you know, at our weave is just obviously like competition is an essential um, part, and the way that we like to, um, or the way that we see ourselves, and they're really it's just like supporting any um, any chain really um, with their uh, with their storage needs and. I think that it's it's super important to to Sarah's point earlier. Like immutability is super super important. Making sure that the data is there. I mean, you know, if if the data is not available, um, this is like real economic effects on on another um, you know dependent layer. Um, so I think that um, you know making sure that things are widely available, that it's like really robust, and that you have a you know super efficient and scalable network. It's just like a must-have if we're gonna have this, you know, the, this Web three stack, which is really what we're, I guess, here today are really focused on and like building. Um, so um, that's those are like my two cents on this. Um, I'm also curious to hear about like uh, John, perhaps from from Hive, like how are you seeing things? Yeah, happy to take it from here. Um, so when thinking about computation, storage, and bandwidth, um, I like to think of them separately. Um, regarding which one is going to have more adoption, I would probably say we're seeing the most adoption in computation, actually. Not in the traditional sense of computation, like raw compute power, but more in the sense of smart contracting layers like uh, EVM on top of Ethereum. And we're seeing lots of use cases there become popular, like NFTs and tokens. Um, so I would say for adoption for now, I would actually say the computation is taking, taking the lead on that. Of course, the storage following right after that with people using Rweave to handle some of that computation. Uh, for example, like with NFTs, storing the images and components and whatnot on Rweave and other permanent storage platforms. Um, yeah, hopefully that answers the question. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just my two thoughts on it. Thanks, John. Uh, and Mark, what's the what's idea about that? Um, yeah, so... so oh, yeah, 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 Mark, because uh, you know, I even have running a helium helium machine just in just in next to my uh, desk. So I, I learned sure. the parameters of running the, the I don't know how to the manner or anything else of the helium. And we noticed that when you deploy the your your terminal or, or your device, uh, you, you also need to offer some storage. You offer you also need to offer some, for example, like uh bandwidth, the traffic, and also you need some competitions. So how's the idea about that part? I'm super curious about the idea from helium. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, running a hotspot and uh, and being part of the network. <laughs> um, our uh, our storage and bandwidth requirements are, are uh, a little bit different, and you know we we focus 
Uh, when we think about bandwidth, we think about wireless bandwidth, right? Um, the ability to send data over, over a wireless link. And when people use the Helium network, their developers and their, their corporations and enterprises who are building uh, IoT applications and generally the data storage requirements for them, right, in, in their application are generally pretty small, right? So it's, you know, uh, 10,000 location trackers sending a GPS packet at 30 seconds. This is inherently super small data. Uh, it tends to just get stored on. Uh, you know, in, in general, I guess, Web2 cloud services, right? So AWS, uh, Google Cloud, Azure IoT, and, and sort of private data centers. You know, the, our blockchain itself uh, is relatively small uh, compared to, to most others, right? It's in the, in the, the gigabytes at this point. Um, we do do some storage on the on the hotspot itself. That's changing uh, and, and is being pushed more to the, uh, the proof-of-stake validators that we introduced about a year ago, maybe a little under a year ago. Um, you know, I think... Generally, uh, again, I guess I'll go back to a similar comment that I made around um, uh, the web free storage. I, I, I don't really think, but rather I think what matters most is who can tie together the access to compute storage and bandwidth uh, in, a, in a unified way that is tied into usage. Uh, I think that um, you know, early adopters are, are deploying the network more, right? They're providing compute storage and bandwidth and being incentivized to do so on these various platforms. Uh, but you know, the adoption again is gonna come from people who make use of this stuff and you know, on some time, I don't even know that it exists under the hood. So whoever's tying together that experience the best, I think will will drive the most adoption across all three of those categories. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Mark. And Nader, so, uh, you know, the graph right now, I don't know, you, you, you are from HNL, but we are more uh, familiar with the graph, the project, yeah. So for now, the graph has supported lots of uh, layer one and and even maybe even you also have the layer two. So, uh, I'm curious about how's your idea about when you try to solve the problem of the graph, you were also considering about that uh, different layer one crypto chain will have the computation, storage, and bandwidth. And when you try to, for example, go with them and aggregate or system in your own, for example, database or system, you will mess some problem. So how's your idea about the relationship between these three kinds of info resources? Yeah, there's a couple of problems that need to be solved when you're dealing with uh, like data aggregation from a blockchain network and you want to kind of continue to adhere to the whole principles behind like blockchain and Web3 and decentralization. You have data verifiability. Um, so you, you consider, okay, I need to aggregate this data. But if I do that, then I now have a single point of failure and we're no longer working with data that is verified. And when someone's querying for this data, not only can they not, um, guarantee that what I'm serving them is actually correct, they also are now querying from a centralized like, point of failure. So now if my hosting goes down or if something happens with um, the way that I'm hosting my code base or my project or my application, then my um, app no longer works. So really, I would say the is there to kind of solve both of those problems at the same time. Um, and yes, we, we try to provide an API that makes it simple for developers to aggregate multiple networks, not just layer ones, but like you mentioned, layer twos, as well as non-EVM chains. So um, Arbitrum, Optimism, Polygon, um, you know, ESC, Celo, Avalanche, Ethereum, like you name it, pretty much any EVM compatible chain that's being used uh, today, like in mass is supported by the graph. And like I mentioned earlier, we also support Near, um, and we're continuing to add uh, non-EVM support. So, uh, so um, Cosmos, and um, Solana are kind of both on our near near term roadmap, but but essentially, like when you think why you would use something like the graph, you typically need to have like a really robust and you know um, I would say optimal user interface on top of your your data. And if you want to query data directly from the network, you can't do a lot of the things that you are using web two space. So you need uh, queries or let's say you're building a Twitter, you need to be able to find the friends of friends and so you need a relational query. You need to be able to implement search. So you need full text search. You need all these things that you literally just don't have. Even if you create like the best smart contract in the world, you're not gonna have all the different capabilities that, that you need. So you essentially are then forced to do a single thing and that is creating an index or a database where you, you loop and you loop through every single transaction that's ever happened and you store the relevant data that you need and then you serve it up from your uh, database and you build an API and you now have this, all, this whole infrastructure built around it. Now, not only is that resource intensive, but it's also like very time consuming and, and it's not easy to do. So like with the graph, you can just use our command line uh, interface to spin up an example project that gives you all the boilerplate. You define your smart contract, 
you can find your data model in GraphQL schema, then you deploy your API to the network, and we do all that indexing, but we also provide the verifiability. So we have a network that is incentivized with our token that penalizes indexers for serving up the data. So, and we also have an incentive mechanism for people to find indexers that are serving up the wrong data and reward them. So almost kind of like you have the Ethereum proof of stake where um, you're staking tokens to authorize a transaction. And if you authorize a, a transaction with the wrong information, then you're, you're penalized and you're slashed. We have that same kind of incentive mechanism, that same financial me mechanism built into the network. Thanks, Neda. Uh, and Sarah, we want to idea. Yeah, sure. I mean, they're definitely the sort of three pillars of, of um, kind of technology uh, sort of hung over, I suppose, from Web 2 space. I think what the Web 3 space has done is kind of marry them all together quite interestingly. Um, I definitely think computation and storage were uh, the main um, kind of goals or problems to solve from the Web 2 space and from, you know, the last 20 years of technology. And I think, you know, bandwidth for sure. Yes, but I think if we're looking at sort of uh, the decentralization and redundancy and, and that kind of thing. And I see sort of, you know, NFTs potentially progressing into kind of gaming and metaverse and, and needing larger files to upload and and um, retrieve as well. I definitely think bandwidth is, is the focus or should be the focus for this space uh, going forward. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, right. I, I want to also uh, follow one question with you. So I, I was a very deep user uh, using the, your product, the Infura. And uh, but but when when I learn the dog and when also using the service, I'm always worried about one thing. So do you think what people worry about the reliability of Infura, for example, uh, just like you you have mentioned. So, uh, it's it's very common in the Web two world or internet world they will have the single point of failure. So well, Infura also also suffer for such quite of situations. And how how you try to solve this problem? And the second part is about data trustable. So we try to uh, retrieve the data from like. Uh, one entity called Infura. We know Infura was backed by uh, very good guys like Foundation or Consensus or lots of Ethereum official guys. But if you transfer uh, lots of money or, or you, you're just using very uh, important data, so how can people trust be trustable with the data offered by Infura? Sarah? Yeah, sure. Um, I know that that's often a criticism levied at Infura, a single point of failure. Um, I mean, we provide access to the APIs of blockchains and the API of IPFS, so that this data is retrievable in other uh, other areas as well. Um, it's all verifiable, and all of the you know great benefits that blockchains and and decentralized storage bring. Um, I, would say, I mean, we definitely care a lot about decentralization. All of the you know you mentioned the good guys at Infura, uh, we care a lot about it. It's um, you know something that we're always looking to move towards when we look at improving the robustness and the reliability of technology we very much understand that there's a lot of data on the blockchain there's a lot of transactions happening at all times and that we you know we take it very seriously that um you know that we are a very adopted platform and we're very grateful for that too um i think i mean in terms of storage in particular ipfs is kind of built to not be a single point of failure um, and we've worked really hard over the last two years on our technology to ensure that we closely peer with all of the other different, um, whether the other IPFS operators that will want to closely peer with us. And by that, that's republishing the CIDs, making sure that we are, you know, really active in the community. Um, you know, we worked with Club NFT a while back when there was the Hikinunk um, disappearance of the platform and that. You know, we work with them across the weekends to ensure that they could repin all of those, um, all the NFTs that the artists had created and that people were collecting. And we know that there are other members of the community that did that too. And what that resulted in after that weekend was, you know, this, this whole platform of NFTs that ended up being more decentralized and more robust and more redundancy in that. And I think, you know, IPFS or decentralized storage in general is, is quite an interesting business model because it to really improve UX, you have to partner with people that, in the web two world you might consider to be a competitor and this is you know this stuff's built so that you don't have uh, you know a, a certain service provider lock-in so um i i hope that people don't worry about the reliability of the data that we would serve up um and it's also verifiable as well so um yeah i mean that's that's what i would sort of respond to that thanks sarah uh the next question will come to the Neda, so Neda about the graph. Uh, 
I I I talk with lots of projects and their their CTO sometimes complain about me that when they're using the graph, uh, the graph it's very good. It has supports lots of uh infra uh, the the layer one, but sometimes you will also be compatible with the high TPS chains. So when you deal with the high TPS chains, how to solve the problem of persistent latencies, which uh for most of the time troubles users a lot. For example, if uh, just an example, if you support BSC and BSC has uh, one second per, per block for the period, and then the users or the project will tell me they have to wait for around maybe 30 to 60 seconds to get the data from, from the graph. So how you try to solve this problem? And the second is, uh, will the graph meet any need for using Web3 storage data? Uh, yeah, so there's a couple of things there. Um... One of them is, well, there, there's two main things, I guess, that would be equally important. One is that we are um, continuing to, like, iterate and improve on the actual, like, protocols and the, and the, the graph node, which is the software that actually um, runs our indexer that al allows us to um, stream those transactions, <clears throat> make them available for, for, the, for the developer to kind of, like, use in their app. And one of the things that we've done just in the last six months as we acquired or we partnered with uh, an indexing firm called Streaming Fast. And we have uh, set aside 60 million to give to them to come into our team to help improve the speed of the uh, graph net itself. And we've seen uh, orders of magnitude improvement from, from how it works. And uh, we're kind of like implementing all of those changes into the graph net itself as we speak. I mean, Solana is a very, very high throughput um, network. so. The only way for us to support um, Solana in the first place was to improve how the graph node functions. So, like, we have them coming on board, and um, you know, we're continuing to just improve and iterate and make make the the graph node a lot faster. And then the other thing that uh, I would just recommend, if people are running into to that situation today, is that uh, you know you can still set up your listener on the client, so you can uh, you query your data like from the graph, and then uh, as events come in, if you want to kind of get those in real time, you can still handle those on the client. Um, that's not like the ideal thing that we, you know, we would obviously like for uh, for the protocol to, to ask you to do in the future. But like as, as of today, that's kind of like a workaround if you're looking for the latency that is closer to what is actually happening on chain. Thanks, Nada. Uh, the next question will uh, come to the John. Hey, John. Uh, yeah, we had talked about the time. I remember last year for several times and uh, long time no see, but then the next part, I want to I want to challenge you some questions. So the first is how in the Kafs in Kafs system, your mechanism, how to solve the trust problem of uploaders in in indexer? Cause uh, I I check graph your mechanism. You have said you have several entities and they they can uh, upload the data from, for example, off chain or different place into your system, and then you will have a, a mechanism to persistence in, for example, Rwave or or like your. Uh, some specific, specific specified storage, and then the next part is you also will offer indexer for users to retrieve from your, uh, I don't know, maybe database or your, or your data. So how's your how how you how do you trust how do you solve the trust problem? That's the first question. And the second is what's the role of web three storage play in your system? Che John. Hey, thanks for the questions. Um, so to answer the first question, it really just comes down to incentives in the network. Um, so we're still thinking about how we're going to incentivize the indexers. But for the uploaders, we have properly incentivized them. Um, we've actually kind of removed the uploader um, terminology just because that was confusing. And we've actually switched to having a network leader. And that network leader, which is actually um, selected randomly per block, uh, per block, is the one that's actually responsible for uploading the data to Arweave. Um, but yeah, so basically the way that it works, uh, boiling it down to boiling it down to the details, really just comes down to the incentives. Um, and so the network leader, if uh, everybody in the network, uh, all the validators have agreed that that piece of data that the network leader uploaded is in fact valid, then the network leader gets uh, paid out a reward, um, like in every single network does. And then all the people that voted in the majority, which in this case would be voted for that piece of data then have a random chance of being selected to be the next network leader, thus being paid out again. Um, so that's how the network incentives work. Um, to answer your second question, how does Web3 storage impact Kive and our system? It 
just it, it, it's like the cornerstone. You can think of it as like the layer zero of Kive is permanent storage, and in particular, we use Arweave for permanent storage. Um, so yeah, hope that hopefully that answers your questions. Um, yeah, we'll hand it back to you. Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, the next question will come to Leo. Hey, Leo. Uh, I'm curious about how mission uh, works from either side and why it is important in the Web two and Web three. Yeah, uh, thanks, Sherlock. Uh, I think. Hey, Leo. Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Sorry, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Okay, great. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think. Uh, so Leo uh, maybe is uh dropped. Uh, no. Okay, I, I will ask um, him later. We can later. hear Leo for some reason. Okay. Oh, you can hear It's your side. I will continue. So, um, yeah, I will just um, have some um, uh, talking about why we build a mess network and how it, uh, how we believe it's going to help both, uh, you know, Web2 and Web3 world. So before we actually start in building the uh, mess network, we observed that um, the bandwidth is actually a critically important resource in both Web2 and Web3 worlds. Uh, Web two world application like YouTube, the uh, we have a statistic that more than fifty percentage of IT cost uh, is in the bandwidth side, and in Web three world we have seen that Arweave is actually uh, the data uh, in the Arweave is actually increasing so fast. I remember last time I checked the uh, data size is actually already more than thirty terabytes. So with so. Uh, so many use cases uh, in Web3, like uh, finance games, uh, you know, games, videos, all kind of, I, I believe that in the future, uh, you know, all these kind of applications going to consume bandwidth every minute. So we we, we, uh, we observe these kind of uh, uh, problems. So at the same time, uh, you know, bandwidth is actually expensive. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, we, we, we found that a lot of, uh, um, you know, servers globally, they, um, you know, they distribute everywhere. They are have a lot of ideal um, bandwidth resources. They are not u- utilized. Um, so we try, uh, we use incentive mechanism, mechanism to, to aggregate all these uh, as our miners and we evaluate them and we uh, aggregate their bandwidth resources. Um, so, f- um, so actually we try to lower down the barrier of uh, our miners, you know, as long as you have a server, you can, you know, uh, join our network. Um, so currently we have more than 30,000 nodes globally. Uh, each one have um, pretty much big of bandwidth. Uh, so after we, we aggregate all these kind of uh, uh, nodes globally and we build the, um, called, uh, we build the auto-scaling mechanism over this, uh, all this uh, network. Uh, I, I will give you an example what this auto-mechanism is. Um, so, for example, some uh, consumers, maybe it's uh, file consumer or video consumer from some Pacific area, um, you know, the, the request, user request might increase from zero to millions in just several seconds. So, um, when detecting uh, when detecting this kind of big request from users, the specific file will be automatically uh, uh, deployed, uh, uh, you know, in more our nodes. In that specific area, so when the you know request drops to zero, the uh, you know backups of this file will be cleared automatically by our system. So this kind of uh, auto mechanism really uh, helps to uh, schedule this kind of high traffic bandwidth uh, consumption from users. Um, so um, we currently have uh, aggregates uh, uh, more than like thirty five terabytes uh, bandwidth uh, per second. We have served uh, Salando Art. Uh, as they, they have a lot of users, and we also have um, um, provide uh, our gateway for our weave. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can cooperate with more uh, uh, more clients in the future. Yeah. Thanks, Leo. Uh, next pro- problem will come to Mark. So, Mark, uh, I-, I learned from your official website and how to understand the people power network. How, how to understand this, and then what's the use case for Helium network? Uh, that's quite a big question. <laughs> so, um, so you know, the easiest way to think about Helium and the Helium network is, is you know, an incentive model for building wireless networks. So, we started this, and the community started this in August of 2019. Uh, basically, sort of this grand experiment around changing how wireless infrastructure is deployed. So, Helium Inc. was founded eight years ago uh, to build uh, public IoT networks, where we kept sort of running into this problem where. Our customers, which were these large enterprises that wanted to monitor the state of their refrigerators remotely, um, 
really needed the data and found a lot of business value in it, but they did not want to spend the time maintaining wireless infrastructure, which is which is not too surprising. So, uh, you know, when it comes to the, the people's network, it, it really is that. At this point, we've got uh, over 600,000 what we call hotspots, which is a combination of a, a crypto miner, which mines a layer one token called HNT, and a, a wireless network generation device, essentially. So um, the, the majority of the miners on the Helium blockchain now support a protocol called LoRaWAN, which is made for uh, IoT or Internet of Things data. And so that, I think, is probably what you're running um, in your house or business. And then we have, uh, coming out of the network now, a, uh, a version of this that does 4G and 5G connectivity for cellular devices. So I think handsets or, you know, an iPad in, uh, that's got a, a SIM card in it. And so, um, you know, when it comes to the, the people's network uh, of those 600,000 hotspots, we have over 200,000 operators or hosts. Um, for people who are familiar with the uh, telco space, uh, it's easiest to think of them as what's called an MVNO or a mobile virtual network operator. Essentially, they, they, they become a small wireless network operator uh, and we compensate them, or the blockchain rather compensates them uh, in this token with a, uh, something called proof of coverage, which I'm happy to get into. Um, the use cases are, are vast, right? So in IoT alone, you know, uh, if you look at any of the IoT sort of projections from the last 10 or 15 years, uh, there are many lofty reports from the, you know, McKinsey's of the world claiming that hundreds of billions of devices that use IoT networks uh, or need to use IoT networks will be online. Um, that's not really happened. It's starting to happen now uh, for non-cellular devices, so devices that don't use a cellular network and that use something like Helium and, and the LoRaWAN uh, below it. And so these are things like, you know, um, location tracking for scooters, uh, restaurant refrigeration monitoring. Um, I talked to a fascinating company uh, just yesterday that's building a, a, a wireless tree uh, monitoring device, which I, I think is quite fascinating. So pretty much anything that sends small amounts of data uh, over large or long ranges is what the, the network is used for. Um, and then more and more as a community develops uh, more capabilities, we're moving into higher bandwidth wireless connectivity. So things like uh, 4G and 5G, which I mentioned, um, you'll probably see things like Wi-Fi incentivization based on Helium and HMT. And then in the future, um, really anything is possible when it comes to incentivizing wireless networks. What I mean by that is potentially proprietary spectrum, um, things like satellites. So there really is no limit um, to what the blockchain can enable. As long as we align the incentives, uh, things should continue to grow. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Mark. But I'm also want to ask him for the five hotspot. So I noticed uh, you have two runs for hotspot. The first hotspot would be the Lora, right? The Lora range, Wi-Fi uh, LAN. And the second part, mm -hmm. you will also use the five hotspot, which we can regard this as very small base station. And they can be deployed in different different countries and different people's home. So uh, do you need to bid for the, for example, the channel of 5G, which, which may be regulated or you are open to it? You just let your like manufacturers to solve this problem? Uh, so the question is, how do we think about the, the, the difference in uh, hardware capabilities or how do we think about the, the backhaul? I, I didn't quite get the question. I mean, you do need to get, uh, for example, the authorization from the AT&T of Spring or Versailles version to give you the 5G. Uh, I don't know how to say that. Oh, I so, see. So yeah, do you need anything like that? Yeah, so, so the community has a mechanism uh, for verifying uh, manufacturers. Uh, so there's an entity or a foundation called the Helium, or rather the, the Decentralized Wireless Alliance, or DY for short, uh, which is the foundation that governs the network day to day. Uh, one of the largest uh, tasks that they have is to verify and approve uh, new manufacturers. We call them makers. So when the network was founded, or uh, started rather um, in August of 2019, the first version of the hotspot, I'm not sure which one you have, was built by Helium Anchor. I think we built 10,000 of them. Um, but in the spirit of, of rating the ecosystem and network growth, the, the decentralization, uh, the community built a, a framework, uh, which is called HIP-19, short for Helium Improvement Proposal 19, modeled on BIPs and, and EIPs uh, for, for um, approving new manufacturers. So we now have uh, I think 40 approved manufacturers with another 30 in the queue. And so there's a very structured process through which one can design a piece of hardware or modify an existing piece of hardware uh, and get it approved by the queue. So um, for you know 4G and 5G, which are new capabilities, we have, uh, I think, one approved manufacturer called Freedom5, which is selling now, and they've sold out uh, sort of a theme in the community with another three or four that are working through the process to, um, to get access to the Helium network. Uh, thanks, Mark. Uh yeah, the next question will be the uh, from, uh, with the SAP. So SAP, uh, talking about our we, we know as a story project, we uh, also view about the emergence of new projects in the market. What, what's, what's your attitude for them? 
Yo, for sure. Um, I you cut off there for a second, but I think I got just a bit. Um, I mean, I think that we're in a very good spot right now for decentralized uh, storage in general. Um, I think that over the past couple of years, um, particularly in twenty twenty one, I think that people started sort of understanding and realizing not only that permanent storage is so sort of like possible, but it's also like super super useful. Um, this ties, um, or this is obviously also tied to the sort of like rise of NFTs. Um, but the use cases are like just going beyond that. So, you know, as we see, as we see uh, other sort of like competitors or any other market participants really um, join, uh, I mean, I, I think that this is just still an expanding pie. Um, and we frankly, uh, you know, we welcome um, other participants simply because it raises the awareness overall. Thanks, Sam. Okay, uh, the next will be also the final question. Uh, yeah, which will be need to be answered by every of our speakers. So in web world, like applications, for example, like uh, Facebook, Random Matter, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, that's the applications layer, they take most of the profits rather than the infrastructure service provider, for example, telecom like AT&T. So do you think this situation gonna be happen, will also be having in the web world, or maybe the things gonna be changed? Uh, let's start from the sub. You are sick, so let's let's <laughs> let, let's you answer the question first. <laughs> yes, for sure. I think that this has, <laughs> and I think that this has nearly into the fat protocol and um, theory, right? So, um, also like as posited amongst others by uh, one of our in, investors, Multicon Capital, that's also an investor in Helium. Um, and I think that just um, it's a fundamentally different uh, way of like capturing value. Um, so now the you know whereas. Um, the network providers previously missed out on all the value being created on top of it. I think that this is a much more fair distribution. So folks um, like Helium can capture some of the value, right? Of the really sort of like physical infrastructure layer. Um, but then moving all and moving up all the, the way on the stack, like you see that participants are getting like a more fair attribution. Um, so I think that that is sort of like the fundamental change here. It's not just like, you know, the fat protocols capture everything, like also the things being built on top of it to um, to allow the access and to allow retrieval and to allow serving, those are also getting, um, getting their piece of the pie. Thanks, Sad. Uh, Sarah, what's your, what's your opinion about that? <coughs> Excuse me, sorry about that. It's not a COVID cough, fortunately. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with them. Um, wow. <laughs> I agree with uh, what what Sub just laid out. I mean, I, I definitely think that there's opportunities along each you know step of the the, the, um, the, the sort of value chain for uh, people to be able to capture some of that value. And I think that one of the most interesting things about blockchains is having the economic incentives built into the technology, um, you know, positively and and often negatively incentivized to to behave and propagate the network honestly. Um, and I, I you know certainly think that there's areas that you know have democratized the way that people can then build on top of that without having to seek permission um without the kind of apple walled garden approach and to be able to provide something and if you know it's it has some use then they're able to capture some of that value too so i definitely think that there's a sort of a big difference in the way the the underlying economics works in the sort of blockchain paradigm thanks thanks sarah um and john what's your opinion about that Hey guys, uh, yeah, so my opinion on it is that it's actually not a problem in Web3, similar to what Sarah and Seb just said. Uh, the fact that um, the way that I interpreted your question is these applications that we know and love and use in Web2, you can think of them as dApps on top of blockchains, which are the infrastructure providers. Um, so it really just comes down to incentives of these networks. And I would actually say that the miners in most of these networks are actually very properly incentivized, say, for example, Ethereum with gas fees. Uh, so yeah, so I would say that we actually don't have that issue because of how these networks are built and constructed to kind of route uh, route profits and uh, route everything back to the service providers or the miners in the network. Thanks, John. Uh, Neda, hey, Neda, want to hear your opinion? Yeah, can you kind of repeat the question again? Sure, sure. So, you know, in the Web2 world, like lots of applications, for example, like Facebook, the social, right? The Microsoft, Amazon, they take most of profits compared with the like infrastructure service provider, for example, Telecom, AT&T. So will this situation be also happen in the Web3 world or, or not? What's your opinion about that? Got it. Yeah, I mean, it's just a completely uh, different uh, model like altogether. There's 
there's opportunities where people can participate in these networks in uh, multiple different ways that they just didn't have before. And I think it goes beyond just the actual infrastructure. Like obviously you can run um, some type of um, node in one of these networks and um, be kind of a participant in that way. If you look at the graph network, we have like five different ways that people can participate. But when you kind of look actually how these, most of these protocols function from kind of the ground up, there's also a lot of opportunities for people to be involved and get paid and earn money um, just by you know, being part of those communities. And that's kind of the, the areas that are really, really, really interesting to me. Whereas before, if you wanted to kind of be part of Google or Facebook or something, you had to have a certain uh, degree and you had to live in a certain place and you had to have all these things like lined up perfectly. And it excludes like 90% of the population or 95% of the population of the world. Whereas uh, with some of these protocols like Arweave or, um, or um, I'm sure Protocol Labs or, or any of these different uh, networks, like even the Graph Protocol, you jump in their Discord and if you can deliver value, you can actually make money and be a part of, uh, of that protocol. So I think that's really, really cool. And I think that just opens the door to so much more innovation. And you're kind of like bringing in the entire world at this point that, that is willing or wanting to participate. And uh, I think the innovation that you're just going to see is going to just be um, a fundamentally different type of innovation than what we've seen before. But um, that goes kind of beyond the scope of that question a little bit, but it's kind of the, the part that interests me the most. Thanks, Nada. Uh, we want to hear the idea from Leo. Hey, Leo. Hey, Sherlock. Yeah, I, 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 I'm quite op optimistic, at least uh, for uh, at, uh, you know current situation, uh, because um, you know the, the the whole world of Web three are quite uh, you know decentralized. Uh, you, you see, you know, yeah, in Web two, you see uh, companies are uh, profit driven, but in Web three, these uh, young people are doing you know uh, innovations every day. But initially, they are not you know uh, you know profit uh, triggered. So um, uh, there are actually people are actually quite you know decentralized in terms of uh, geolocations, in terms of technology, and people are trying to solve different problems. And I think it is still in the early stage. There are still a lot of uh, space in the bottom, just like um, for example, uh, Bitcoin. You know, this chain uh, is quite uh, big and it's quite simple. But Ethereum, uh, as as the chain, you know, who solved the problem. Uh, of a smart contract, but if you look at our weave, you know you, people cannot store large file in Ethereum network. It's too expensive, but people can store the big files in our weave. Uh, actually, uh, there are a lot of combinations um, in Web three, and it is still early to say that someone will dominate uh, the, the the whole world. Uh, I think that's that, that that's my opinion. Yeah. Thanks, Leo. And finally, Mark, what's your opinion? <laughs> uh... Yeah, so I don't think that anyone on this call is going to disagree with the idea that, you know, incentive mechanisms make for uh, remarkably new business models and, and interesting ways to adopt new technology. Uh, you know, the with Helium, because I, I, I'm a bit biased, um, you know, we managed to build what is probably the largest contiguous wireless network on the planet um, based on a network of individuals who had, uh, as a rule, never really worked with or heard of wireless technology. Um, so specific, you know, especially when you think about the, the protocol, LoRaWAN and, and IoT. Um, and sort of on top of that, they've built a network that is resilient and robust and actually used for, for production applications. Um, so, so, you know, the incentive alignment and basically giving, giving people skin in the game for us has been remarkably uh, powerful to the, to the point where, you know, we're now seeing major sort of uh, traditional MNOs and ISPs coming to us asking questions about how they can sort of use similar incentives to, to deploy their own infrastructure because the, the cost uh, with a model that something like Helium uh, lays out is uh, significantly cheaper. Uh, and you get um, participation and sort of uh, connectivity with, connectivity meaning uh, relationship-wise, with the people and companies that are actually building the network. The incentive mechanism tends to bring them in. But we find is that people really do believe in the mission. And so um, the combination of those two things, in our experience, has led to you know, just an absurd amount of growth, both in the coverage uh, and the actual usage of the infrastructure. Thanks, Mark. Uh, that's all the things we have. And yeah, guys, uh, thanks for having the, ha ha thanks for joining the uh, Twitch space today. And <laughs> hope you have a very good day and I, and hope you have a healthy body. Yeah, I thanks have, again, uh, guys. Sorry, sorry, you know, I have two questions for uh, one for Mark. Oh, you have two questions? Mark. Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, later, you know, sorry. Mark, so you said that uh, Helium is going to expand, you know, 
particularly you mentioned that, uh, uh, I mean, helium is considered to buy the spectrum for the government, right? So, but also, as we are understanding, you know, if you buy spectrum, you probably will be, you know, regulated by the government. But we know that helium is a uh, blockchain, it's decentralized stuff, you know. So how are you guys uh, to make a balance between this uh, action, you know? Uh, I don't think I suggested that we were going to buy Spectrum. Um, it's certainly an interesting idea that's been discussed by people in the community. I don't, I don't think it, it you know, would never happen. Uh, you know, Spectrum uh, is, is very interesting from a, of a, from a network perspective, obviously. Uh, you know, there are, I guess, some scenarios which uh, you know, the blockchain and the protocol itself could engage in uh, Spectrum acquisition. But again, we've, we've not done anything very concrete around that. There is a proposal in the community uh, that was introduced by um, by Helium Inc. and then uh, a few members of the community uh, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, called the Helium DAO, uh, which you can find on the, the Helium Improvement Proposal GitHub. And so it's very early in these discussions, but the idea is that uh, uh, on top of the Helium Layer 1 blockchain HNT, you can craft specific incentive mechanisms uh, complete with its own token uh, to basically address uh, any wireless protocol that wants to be added to the blockchain. So if you think about what we have now, which is LoRaWAN, um, you know, the proof of coverage incentive mechanism has been very effective in that. But if we add new protocols, uh, you know, you'll, you'll essentially need to fine tune the incentive mechanisms for those protocols. Uh, and so, you know, the, the DAO or the Helium DAO idea um, could potentially allow for, uh, you know, a group of people to get together and try to acquire some spectrum and then put that directly on the blockchain. To be honest, I think what's more likely to happen uh, is that uh, a sort of bleeding edge carrier that actually already owns spectrum uh, will uh, want to get involved in, in some way. And that doesn't happen yet, um, but it could in the future. Thanks for sharing. You know, it's actually in my mind for quite a long time. It's really great to know that. And also, you know, because I know there's a huge amount of you know, fans globally, you know, for Helium. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. other people that they do mining and also they provide the wireless you know, connections. So do you yourself, you know, you feel like that virus, uh, Verizon, you know, AT&T and T-Mobile, uh, this is joined, you know, various operators in the States. Are they feeling kind of straight by you guys already? Uh, are they, are they, sorry, what was the end of the question? Are they feeling straight, you know, because, I mean, you really are hit now, so. Uh, are we, uh, are they concerned about us? Is that what you're asking? Yes, I think, it's, I, I believe so, you know. I think they, oh, the I future, like, they're huge, you know, uh, like, uh, competitive in the market, you know. Yeah, um, you know, I think some are and, and some aren't, right? Uh, you know, we have partnered directly with Dish Networks, which uh, in the United States is one of the, the I guess, top four uh, carriers. They don't have the biggest sort of consumer-facing brand. They tend to operate through companies like Boost Mobile, for example, for, for wireless subscriptions. That's one of their MVNOs. Um, so, so there is, you know, precedent already for someone like Dish who has agreed to roam uh, onto the Helium 4G and 5G network uh, to get involved. Uh, yeah, we, we have... Um, yeah, so I, I think generally, you know, you'll see some that are more dish-like that want to be sort of on the front edge of this. Uh, to be honest with you, as the infrastructure starts to roll out, especially when it comes to the 4G and 5G capabilities, um, as, a, as an enterprise, as a carrier, you know, that cares about bringing costs down, it's really hard to argue with the model that the community is building, right? If, you're, um, if you need to deploy 50,000 5G small cells uh, and your cost for that using a traditional you know, infrastructure provider like a tower carrier is X, and then, you know, if you go through something like the Helium network and it, it you know, is X uh, minus 80%, um, you really can't argue, right, with taking yeah. advantage of that infrastructure. That's uh, kind of, so, you know, yeah. people's power, people's network, you know. That's right. Okay, thank you so much, Ari. So, like, next question for uh, Ned, you know, so I actually, uh, I'm a big fan of you, and uh, I noticed you actually being, uh, you know, uh, out of a network in ETH demo, right? So, you know, compared to past years, what you experience or insight about this year event? For Ethereum Denver? Yes. I, I'm sorry, you did kind of break up a little bit that. Are you, are you kind of just asking this oh. event versus previous events? Yeah, I just you know, I saw you did a lot of uh, you know networking events in ETH Denver, you know, the big shows, we have a lot of people to meet, to talk, you know. So, uh, sure, I, mean, I, I didn't get in the past, you know, uh, my past might actually expired. I didn't manage to do that. We definitely will be there. Actually. Uh, what's your experience about you know ETH for this year in the competitive password? Got it. So this is actually my first ETH vendor, but I've been to um, a couple of like uh, blockchain events. I've been to like, for instance, uh, my first one was ETHCC in Paris, and um, that was my very first uh, blockchain or Ethereum or Web three event. But I've been to I've been speaking at events you know for a while, and um, they, they, but they've all been like Web two events, quote unquote Web two events, and. Um, 
yeah, like East Denver was definitely probably, like I said this, and it's kind of wild to say this because I've been to like 100 conferences, but it's probably my favorite conference I've ever been to. The uh, the combination of uh, technical skill and um, vibe and like cool people there, but also the diversity of like the types of people that were there. So I'm just so used to being involved in um, communities where everyone's a coder and everyone's a developer and like that's all we talk about. But um, at East Denver, there were like artists and there were uh, musicians and there were community people that were just focused on just building communities and there were just creatives there and people creating clothing and, and there was there was even actors and there was even people in porn there like all kinds of stuff it was like crazy and uh, it was so fun just to be around all those different people that were just collaborating and, uh, and doing stuff together so for instance if someone has uh, a particular skill and uh, they want to monetize it in web3 they can collaborate with a developer and, and you can't really you can't really find a developer for the most part right that has spent like 10 or, or so years of their life uh, down this other path um, to combine those two skills together. So like when you combine like a developer that knows how to, to code and build out this thing with someone who actually has a story or something uh, to kind of like to, 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 to show, I guess, in the sense of uh, maybe like an NFT collection or, or someone that wants to kind of just uh, build something on chain. It's just uh, really cool to see those types of people like getting together. So I'm really excited about, um, you know, ETH Denver for next year, but I'm also excited for the other events like ETH Amsterdam, ETH Dubai, Graph Day was just uh, announced this week. All of these are going to be really great Web3 events. Yes, thanks, Howard. Uh, I think the time is already uh, over. Uh, yeah, thanks again for the people, for speakers to join the three space today. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the day tonight. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Thanks, everyone. Thank you. See you guys. Thank you, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye.